Do you want to live freely and lightly in your purpose and passion? More than ever, we need to learn to live in rhythms that help move us forward. Welcome to the Exhale Podcast. This is Holly Newton, founder of Exhale Women, and I am your host. I have invited three co-hosts, Annalise Lillard, Annette Yanez, and Cassie Cooper to join me here. We need God's rhythms of grace to live in His strength. What He builds, He sustains. We can't do it without Him. We have some incredible guests lined up, and we can't wait to share these conversations with you. Welcome to the Exhale Podcast. This is Holly Newton, and welcome back to the Exhale Podcast. On today's show, we have Bonnie O'Neill. I can't wait for you to hear from her, but I want to share a little bit about her before I bring her in. Bonnie is an inspirational communicator who is passionate about restoring hope to hurting people. She has had a front row seat to the stress of raising a child with chronic illness as her son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at age 5, and two of her siblings were diagnosed with type 1 diabetes as children. Her new book, Chronic Hope, Raising a Child with Chronic Illness with Grace, Courage, and Love, helps readers discover hope in the unexpected and challenging seasons of life. While Chronic Hope was written for parents raising a child with a chronic condition, the themes Bonnie raises in the book are universal. The story of Chronic Hope is ultimately a story of accepting what we did not choose by learning to release control and accept what can't be changed. Chronic Hope offers all readers tools for releasing anger, fear, guilt, shame, jealousy, bitterness, and judgment in order to live a life filled with inner freedom, strength, grace, courage, love, and most of all, hope. Her first book, My Identity is in Christ, examines the identity struggles of nine biblical women and explores how to break free from the strongholds to live in the freedom God intends for us. Well, Bonnie, I am so excited to have you on the show. It's been some time coming, and um, I think this is the perfect timing and perfect season. Welcome. Thanks, Holly. I'm so glad to be here today. Well, I thought we would just begin um, by hearing from you. If you would like to share, um, just begin sharing the part of your story that you'd like to share with our audience. Sure. Um, Well, as Holly mentioned, um, part of my story involves um, the the fact that I I raised a son who was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when he was five years old. But my experience with type one didn't begin at that point. Um, I was born into a family that had already been tragically impacted by this disease. Um, My birth family um, before I was born consisted of a brother, a sister, and my mother was pregnant with my my other sister. And um, quite unexpectedly, my brother, Johnny, was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, but he was diagnosed um, too late, and he actually died in the diabetes in the diagnosis process. And so, um, it the disease can come on suddenly, acutely, as it did with my brother, and the signs were just unrecognized because he was he had a stomach bug at the time, and so they didn't recognize that he was in distress, and so. My parents chose to have me um, 18 months later. Well, I guess nine months later, they decided to have another one. And that child was me. And I was born to replace the the child that they had lost. And um, then my sister was born. uh, my, My sister was diagnosed. My oldest sister was diagnosed with the same disease when she was 16 years old. So 
Um, you know, this disease, it, it had always been really personal in our family. Um, we were my other sister who was born just one week after my brother died. Um, she and I were always looking for the signs of it. Um, and I'll, I always share them frequent urination and intense thirst. If you ever see one of your kids going through that or someone, you know, and love, uh, it could be diabetes. And, um, so I had grown up in that, this, this specter of this disease for my entire life. And when my son Austin was five years old, I saw those signs in him. I saw the frequent urination and the intense thirst. And I knew, I knew what it was. I actually diagnosed him at home. I went to the pharmacy and bought a test kit. Um, I'd had to use them with each of my three pregnancies. So I knew exactly what I was doing. And I diagnosed him at home. And that diagnosis happened one week before we were moving from Connecticut to Pennsylvania. And so we were already in the midst of a very stressful time. We had moved frequently by that point in my, my marriage with my husband. And it was just always very stressful. In fact, I'd been praying into it not being a stressful time because the, the move to Connecticut from South Florida, which had, was three years before that, um, I was in the hospital having my thyroid removed, not sure whether or not it was cancer. And so there, there was all, this story always of, of, of moving and there being a crisis. And, and my son, I diagnosed him with diabetes um, at, at the end of really a five-year period of just one crisis after another. We had five cases of Lyme disease in our family during that time. I had had this surgery. My in-laws were living with us because my they came up for a visit and stayed for six months. My mother-in-law was diagnosed with a very rare cancer and it took her life about nine months after that. So it was this season that we were in that was just so horrific and ongoing. And then my son's diagnosis. And a week later, we move, we have to move house. So I'm trying to figure out what hospital to take him to. Um, they didn't even set up his full insulin regime or anything at that point. And I, I had to wait till we got to Pennsylvania for that. And I remember once we moved to, to, to Pennsylvania, I remember distinctly this, this day when I was upstairs in my my bathroom, just like take, taking a minute, you know, as you have to when when the world is just swirling and and you can't, you're totally out of control. And I I heard this voice that was so evil that it could only have been from the enemy. So this is the good Christian life, and it I just bought it hook, line, and sinker, and. I, in that moment, I just said, get away from me, God. I, I'm, I'm done with you. Like, I have followed you my whole life. And basically, what have you done for me lately? Like, the last five years have been this, um, I can't say a roller coaster ride. It was just a, 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 a crashing vehicle out of control. And, um, and in that moment, my world just went, completely quiet and dark inside. And I'd been a follower of Jesus my entire life. I remember, you know, asking him to be my savior when I was five or six years old and just following him with this love and this passion my whole life. 
And I, so I didn't know what it was like to be so empty and quiet inside. He'd, he'd always been with me. And I, that was the thing that stood out the most. It was just, it was so dark and so silent. Later, I would think, is that what people who don't know God, who don't follow God, is that what they feel always? It, like, I, it, that, that was awful. <laughs> um, and, I, and it lasted for about six months where I was just incredibly angry at God. Um, I was so disappointed. I felt like he had let me down. I felt like I had pulled my end of the bargain and why didn't he hold up his end? And after about six months of that, I um, I just really began to attend to my faith crisis because I, I knew who I was. I was a child of God and I wanted to return to him. And so I, I confessed multiple times. I tried discovering him again through the pages of scripture. Um, I was still in church. I was the new kid on the block, so I didn't have any friends there. So that didn't certainly didn't help. But God in his graciousness knew that there was work. There was deep work that I needed to do. There were things that, that caused me to be, have that faith crisis to begin with that were much farther reaching than five years of medical crises and, and a a child's diagnosis of the chronic, chronic illness. And so he graciously just let me kind of linger out there for another 18 months. And if you've ever read St. John of the Cross and know about the dark night of the soul, this is as close to that as I can, uh, I can imagine it being where I was searching for him, but I could not find him. It was like there was this heavy veil separating us but during that time and obviously i know he was he was always right there but during that time he he allowed me to face these two questions that i just kept coming come bumping into again and again who is god for me is that me or is that him and is god good all the time even when life is really not so good and those were the two things that I just needed to really work out and that through through those 18 months um, really was able to just sort of come to realize that I had created, unbeknownst to me, this if-then theology. If I love and serve you, God, then you will protect me and my family from the things I don't want to have happen to us. Um, and that all just fell apart like a, like a house of cards because I'm not God. And um, and then just realizing that he is good all the time, even when life isn't. And coming around to, to realizing that, really like digging in and attending to what was going on and what my my false theologies were that I did not even, wasn't even aware of, that was so pivotal in taking me to a new hope, a new place of belief that that just really took me out of this, this destructive place that I was in. It really brought beauty out of the ashes. I was just in a place of, uh, for myself, unrecognizable from where I had always lived my life before. That is, um, boy, I think that that is a lot of people's story. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the exact illness, but I hear this more often than not, I will say. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's powerful when 
when um, people share stories like this. So I appreciate you sharing so vulnerably. Um, I'm, I'm curious, um, was it an overnight, like, aha moment for you in your faith? Mm. Or was it a slow coming back? Um, yeah, so... So like I said, the first, the first phase was really about six months where I just, I didn't want anything to do with God. And then it was about 18 months of, of trying to find him. Um, but the end was an overnight immediate end, which was beautiful. I, I've thought so often of um, when, when the disciples were asking Jesus, well, why couldn't we cast out that demon? And, and, and he said, well, some things require prayer and fasting and can only come out by prayer and fasting. And I'm not saying that there was, there was a demon, although I do believe the enemy had, has had his mighty role in this, but the, the, the final, um, the final evening, if you will, of being in that dark night, uh, I was out in LA visiting friends. Our families were together. She had been my, my roommate in New York after college. And so the four of us, the two couples were praying together before my family was going to return to Philadelphia. And, um, so we were praying together and you know how like when you when you sense the end of a prayer is is this prayer time just kind of wrapping up and I just started praying quietly like lord don't let the prayer end somebody has to realize what kind of state I'm in somebody needs to pray for me and I but why I didn't say that out loud I don't know I think I just needed it to be completely spiritual and that they would sense that and so like, honestly like just before the amen my friend Jacob just starts like laying in with the prayer and just like rebuking the evil and just like calling forth the, the Lord. And then Nancy started joining in and the, you know, at the end of it, I knew that what happened needed to happen and that the, I had been prayed for in the way I needed to be prayed for. Mm -hmm. I think I felt kind of the same. I went to bed, woke up the next morning and it was gone. Like it, it lifted. Wow. It, it lifted. It was done. So That's amazing. Yeah, there was, I, I would say there was some spiritual mischief in there, you know, that was, that needed to be, that needed to be released, but there was, there were lessons in there that I needed to learn. And I think I, I began really understanding what they were mm -hmm. afterward, you know, and sometimes in writing that helps also to, to understand, you know, Sure. yeah. I also knew that I would have to, that I would likely, have another situation where the Lord would say, okay, who is God for you? Is it going to be one of your children or is it me? And, and he did. He gave me that opportunity. Yeah. Oh, that, that is so good. And I love how, you know, you remind us that God was always there, even when you felt like he wasn't, or maybe you rejected him. Yeah. You know, um, and isn't that just like, the enemy to come in when we're at our lowest, mm -hmm. when we're alone, like you were in a new place, mm -hmm. got these new challenges and you hear this little lie whispered, yeah. Yeah. but it's so easy to believe when you're vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah. I've been through a season like that myself. So I so understand that. And, and you don't even reason like here I was <laughs> and here's what right. I believed. And all of a sudden, here I am. And it's um, it's just like the enemy because he's always out to steal, kill, and destroy. 
Absolutely. But, but your yeah. testimony gives power to the fact that God is always there mm-hmm. and he does not let go. He pursues yeah. our hearts. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, some, and sometimes in that, yes, I fell for the enemy's lie, but we know from scripture that, that the enemy had to have permission from God to sift me in that way. We we look at the book of Job and we know that a hundred percent. And so why was that testing allowed for me? Well, everything that I learned that came out of it and fixing the broken pieces of my theology were so important. And I know that there are places that he wants me to go with him in this life. And I can't go where he is and stay where I am in those false sort of theology. So he has to fix that. He has to change that. He has to allow whatever it's going to take to bring more of that, um, bring me in the direction that he always has for me to begin with. And even if that means going to the place of ashes beforehand, Mm -hmm. he will allow that. Yeah, that's, that's so true and so powerful. And here you are, you've written two books and you speak and you're helping a lot of people (laughs) on the other side of this, right? I mean, I've, I'm a firm believer God always uses what we go through in order. It's it's not just about us. I mean, it's about us because he wants a relationship with us, but it also is twofold. It's also about the world around us. Yes. um, Let's talk about the emotional weight that many mothers and fathers carry when you have a child who's chronically ill or you're carrying a, a burden like that for a family member. Yeah, yeah, it's, I think one of the first things that can happen, I mean, if you, depending on your situation, it might, it might just be denial that you're, you you just cannot accept what, you know, what your child is going through. Um, I know for myself, because my role really was to, to keep my son alive. I, I didn't have time for denial. I just moved right into anger. If you're looking at the five stages of grief, I just moved right into anger. I think there's fear, constant, constant fear. Um, there is uh, guilt. What what part did I play in this? What part did my genes play in this? Um, there is fatigue, emotional fatigue, physical exhaustion, um, the relationship with a spouse can be deeply, deeply impacted because you might want to parent one particular way or manage the condition one way and your spouse has a different plan for that or no plan. One is typically more active than the other. And so then there's all kinds of anger and bitterness against your spouse where, you know, I mean, I came to the point where I just said, I need to choose to forgive here. And I'm either going to stay riddled in the anger that I have that he's not doing it my way, or he's not doing enough, or he I'm feeling abandoned by my spouse, and then coming to realize, well, he's feeling abandoned by me, too. And so we need to reorient our thinking. And uh, often, there's just there's forgiveness of someone else, there's forgiveness of ourself. Um, I think one of the, the first things that that parents who have a child with a chronic health condition and um, epidemiologists today will say that one in four kids um, under age 18 have 
a chronic health condition. So whether that's a disease like my child had has, or if it's an emotional situation or a learning disability, there's there's a lot of us who are carrying weight. And whether you have a child with a chronic illness or not, we're all carrying the weight of wanting the best, you know, for our kids. And the first thing really is just to 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 recognize that you have permission to feel what you're feeling. And I think especially if you have a child with a chronic illness, you take no time for yourself. You're you're carrying the weight of all of this, but you keep thinking, well, my child has it so much worse than I do. So I don't really have permission to feel sad about how tired I am or how much fear I'm carrying because this child is carrying the weight of whatever fears they're carrying and of managing the disease and of living with the disease. And so I think first for, for parents, we need to we need to offer ourselves grace. We need to know that we can feel what we're feeling and and then to begin to attend to what those feelings are. I think so often we um, we feel the fatigue, we feel the fear, but we don't notice it. We see it, but we don't notice what we're noticing. And and the only way to sort to to really find any sort of freedom from this weight is to really begin to attend to it, go deeper into it. That is really helpful. I know um, I've had some recent conversations with some moms who are grieving um, for different reasons, uh, a new diagnosis, um, an infant loss um, from some time ago. And um, I think what you're saying is really important um, for our listeners to hear. Um, You talk about the pivotal role of releasing control. Mm. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I mean, I <laughs> tell me a little bit about that. <laughs> I, I started joking with my book launch team that I could have just as easily named my book Chronic Hope. I could have named it Chronic Control because I realized that the whole thing was about releasing control. Mm-hmm. And so, so much of what we are dealing with, whether it's the fear or the anger, um, jealousy, any of these emotions, it's that we're really not yet accepting the life that is in front of us. And we just want to change it. And we just wish that we had something else. And so we just try to white knuckle our way through whatever the condition is. And um, I think what's so much more important and so much for to have a healthy free way interior interiorly free way of looking at at the world and looking at our lives is really to be able to accept those things that we didn't choose and that's so hard like yeah i can i can accept that i'm married i can accept that i have three children i can accept that i live here but what about the things i didn't choose like how do i accept that and it's not with an idea of resignation, because it's not like, oh, okay, I'm going to res- be resigned to this, because there's no hope in in resignation. Yeah. But to consent to it, to say that, okay, I'm 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 going to accept this place where God has me, is a much more hopeful stance than saying, well, okay, if this is the way it is, and I'll just be resigned to it. Um, Teresa of Lisieux said that all is grace. And 
I love that because we look at life and say, oh, with these good things that happened to me, well, those are my blessings and that, that those are from the grace of God. But she said, no, no, everything is grace. And then Ignatius of Loyola took it farther and said, everything is grace because everything, whether it's good or bad, gives us the opportunity to go deeper into the heart of God's love for us. Mm. And so when I think about some of the challenges that I've had, and there was one year in particular where it seemed every person in my family was in a major medical crisis at the same time. And I was kind of the only one there left really carrying the the weight of, of all of that for everyone. Mm. But it was one of my most special, deepest spiritual years, times with the Lord. And I came to see the 23rd Psalm, that the, the verse that says, um, you prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And that's what that year felt like to me, that, that the enemy was just all around me, like every moment, morning to night, but there I was at the table of the Lord, just feasting with him, because all I could do was to, to keep standing, yeah. was to sit with him, <laughs> literally. Mm-hmm. And that was just I was just releasing control and saying, I will walk with you where, wherever you have for me, and, mm-hmm. and I will consent to this. It's not what I chose. Mm-hmm. But I lived in a freedom, even though I was carrying so much weight, I lived in a sense of interior freedom that was simply because I had let go of control. Yeah. Wow. Wow. It's like you find freedom and surrender. Mm-hmm. surrendering yeah. the need to control or yeah. the white knuckling the yeah. outcomes but any trying to find anything you can control right 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 but i heard yeah. a key phrase in there you made a choice mm-hmm. you made a choice yeah god does not impose you know his will or his strength on us he gives us the strength and he yeah. never leaves us but you right. have to make that choice at yeah. some point yeah yeah I, th- I think that's really what it is and that's what I write a lot about in chronic hope is that we have this choice to embrace hope and let go of despair but it is a choice that we make along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the starting point really is to just give yourself the permission to feel what you feel and start noticing it. And then one of the things we say in spiritual direction is that the way to get um, out of the cave that we find ourselves in is to go deeper in. You can't just try to get out. There's no way to just get out. You go deeper in have a look around, attend to it, bring the Lord into all that you notice there. And that's how you'll find your way out. Mm, That's beautiful. That's a beautiful picture. And that is so important because he does want to journey with us and walk with us through, through every bit of life. Doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's no fun without him. Honestly, it's it's empty. (laughs) It's empty. (laughs) It is not, you know, um, right after I contacted you, uh, to do this interview, um, it was 
it was right before we actually left Texas and I was sharing with you pre-show, but I'll share with the listeners. I was diagnosed with type two diabetes and it was shocking and it was four days before we left. And, um, my first reaction, you know, with the doctor was first of all, like, are, are you kidding me? Um, that was his reaction too. He was very shocked. And then I was shocked that he was shocked and that was a hot mess. <laughs> uh, but he's a believer and he stopped a minute and he said, let's pray. Mm. and and we prayed and I felt the peace of God and and mm. the next thing out of my mouth was okay how do we how do we fight this how do we battle this yeah and um I yeah I felt strong but I will mm-hmm. tell you a couple of days later after mm-hmm. you know, the millionth finger prick is what right. it felt like and right. not a person for needles I was the mom who waited for my husband to get home to pull the teeth you know <laughs> if we're growing up and my daughter said this is this is really bad that you're diagnosed with this because you're not a needle person. <laughs> I, like, I know, but I just remember um, a couple of days after it, it's just like, it hit me like a wave. Like mm. there's nothing I can do to control what's mm. happening in my body. There's certain, certain actions I could take mm-hmm. medication, but it's up to God and God alone yeah. to heal me. And for a minute I was really mad. Mm. not at God I was just mad that it happened yes. I was angry yeah. yeah yeah and and I just remember just being just real I cried I cried mm-hmm. it out and um I talked to God about it and then I didn't stay there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but but that comes from a long history of doing it the wrong way right mm. <laughs> <laughs> and I faced um more serious things in the past believe mm. it or not um but I, I love, I say that because you've said a couple of things that have really hit home with me today, you know, about how we have to release the need for control. Mm. And that is so true. And we have to make a choice with what we're going to do with what we can't control. Mm-hmm. Right. And right. that's so important. And I love how you talk about giving um, yourself grace too, because that's something I think we can all do a little bit more of, Yeah, um, especially yeah. as women. And yeah. most of our listeners are women on this podcast. We tend to really beat ourselves up. Yeah. And when it comes to our children, I think um, that happens, you know, a lot too. Mm-hmm. So um, mm-hmm. just, yeah. Um, inner dialogue. You know? Right. 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 <laughs> and, and I think it, it just, Inviting the Lord into that dialogue. There's there's nothing wrong with being angry at a diagnosis. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. And we see that all throughout Scripture. Look at the Psalms and the laments begin with a cry, with let me get it all out there, what I'm discontent about today. And so, I, I find great permission in that. And um, for some people, that might be a you might be able to move through that first emotion of anger quickly and for others you might not be able to but just give yourself grace because god is in all of it and god is just trying to draw us deeper into his heart of love and the best um, season for you might be in that dark dark place because you'll you'll see these these gems and jewels about God's character that you hadn't seen before. And he'll always unearth things in us that aren't healthy so that we can go where he wants us to go. Mm, that's so good. That's really good. Um, before we wrap up, Bonnie, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about your latest book. If you don't <laughs> Thank you. 
So chronic hope, raising a child with chronic illness with grace, courage, and love is um, is really like a memoir. It's a story of of raising uh, my my son who has type one diabetes, and it's I tell it not chronologically, but like a spiral. And I have um, a lot of, there's a, actually on the cover, there's a, on the back cover, there's a spiral shell to just sort of as the first clue, like, oh, let's go, what's going on in here. And, and because I really believe that, so the, the first section is just dealing with the diagnosis. And then it's just me as the caregiver, and then my relationship with my son, and then the whole family relationship, and then how this family sort of gets back to to normal life. And I really believe that to have a healthy family, it begins with healthy parents. And so if, you know, if mama ain't healthy, ain't nobody going to be healthy. And so if there's a a situation in, in your family that you're dealing with, um, that that's hard for you begin with yourself in trying to get that, that healing. So, so the first section of the book is really all about how I dealt with those feelings of anger and loneliness and um, the need to accept when I wanted to hold on to control and really dealing with with all of that and and the, and the I tell I tell the story in narrative and reflection form so there's a there's a, a story that I recount in each of the short there's 29 short chapters so in each one I recount a story and then come in in the pretty much the second half of the chapter and just shed a little light on that. And um, it's not, it's not a self-help book. It's not, um, there, there's no shoulds in it because I think especially those of us who are raising a child with chronic illness, actually all of us in life, we are shoulded to death. And I don't want this, this is to be a quiet place, a safe, a safe, quiet read where you can kind of find yourself in it. And the end of each chapter has three heart to heart questions that just take take the themes a little bit more personal so that you can have your own opportunity to to think about it so with the book launch team um probably most of the people on that did not have a child with chronic illness and it was amazing to hear how they connected with the themes as well because they are they are universal themes that we all struggle with yeah that's a little bit about it that is so good i cannot wait to read it tell us where um you want us to find your book. Yeah. So, well, I mean, you can find it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or Books a Million. You can also hop over to my website, bonnieoneil.com, O-N-E-I-L. Um, and there's there's more about the book there. There's also a um, free 30-day hope journal that you can just download. And that, you know, Chronic Hope is my story. That that's your story where you can just sort of unpack what hope is for you and letting go of control. What does that look like for you? Um, so that's on my website as well as a buy one, get one offer. So you can just, you can get an electronic version for free that you can send to anybody or keep for yourself. So there's some goodies up there on the oh, website I love too. That. And that's on your website. On my website. Yeah. That will definitely be in the show notes. Um, Great. So if you're listening, if you will click on the podcast and take a look at the show notes, I will link, um, all of um, the book information in the show notes for the website, as well as um, we'll put a link to Amazon. How about that? (laughs) That's great. Thank you. (laughs) Great, great, great. Well, um, man, 
Thank you so much for sharing with us. Uh, this has uh, been such a blessing uh, to me personally to get to sit here with you and, and hear straight from your heart. And I know our listeners out there are being blessed by it as they listen. So uh-huh. thank you for sharing your story. Oh, real quick, I want to know, um, how is your son today? He's great. Thank you. He's 24 years old, lives about 15, 20 minutes from us. And um, yeah, he's he's doing great, benefiting from a lot of the, the technology that has come around in the last decade and always hopeful. Okay. That is that awesome. cure. Yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, thank you for pressing into the harder things of life and for sharing with us, Bonnie. It's been a real blessing. Thank you, Holly. It's been a joy to be here, and, and I hope it's, it's been a blessing to everyone. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the show. We are here for you. You can find me super easy at Holly A. Newton on Instagram and Holly Newton Official on Facebook. I'd love to connect with you and hear how the show is encouraging you. And let's help others find the show so that they can also be encouraged in their purpose and passions. There's a couple of ways you can do that. One by subscribing and another is by rating and reviewing the show wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. And two, you can even screenshot sharing your stories, text it to your friends and family. And be sure to tag me at Holly A. Newton on the socials so we can connect.